Hey, friends, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand, and we're going to read uh, this morning's scripture. We're in Mark chapter 5, and it is a terribly boring passage, so <clears throat> buckle up. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Amen? Thanks, brother. <laughs> Oh, wow. What a crazy scripture. You guys are at a crazy church. What are you doing? Like 29 barrels of candy, chocolate fountains, and now Demonology 101? My gosh. I think it's too controversial. Instead, we're going to talk about tithing and politics. <laughs> tithing was last week, actually. Ryan, gosh, that was a great word from him on uh, encouragement in that area. You know, like Forrest Gump said, it's just money, right? Just one more thing. Um, but, you know, at North Coast Calvary, we do talk about stuff and we dig into the Word of God, even parts like today, which are a little bit freaky. Now, in a group of this size, of course, there's, there's folks all across the spectrum, folks for whom this seems like a quaint medieval thing that it can't even be real. Surely the demonic doesn't move like that, even if it ever did. Folks who, let's call us, we shove our heads in the sand. And then there's also dudes for whom they see a demon under every rock and every single thing is a demonic influence and, and we see demonic oppression and demonic possession and it's all... And, uh, and today I am going to disappoint both of you. If that's you, we're, you're going to be disappointed. Today we're going to see, I believe, through the pages of Scripture, that whether evil is in the small or the big, Jesus prevails. Whether it's evil that is in the ordinary sense of evil, or the extraordinary sense of evil, like we read about today, 
Jesus prevails. Whether it's evil that affects us individually and personally or collectively and corpor- uh, you know, corporately and in, in a societal sense, systemic sense, even that kind of evil, Jesus prevails. So if you forget everything I say, and you, you may, well, and that's fine, remember this one thing. There's no room for fear. If you're in Christ, there's no room for fear. All that's left is the Lord who prevails. We see today there's this, this sense of these worlds colliding, and I was driving down the freeway the other day, and, uh, and I was focusing on the car in front of me, and I had a sense, you know, that, that sometimes there's these other things going on, and we can sometimes grasp them in our periphery. And I, and I think that when, as humans, we are here and all that we observe and see and sense and taste and smell and so on, our, our senses, we can think, well, that's it. There's nothing more than that. But I actually think there's a lot going on that we mayn't always see that is going on. And, and spiritually, I think that's the case. And it takes something, you know, someone to swerve across the lanes for a collision to happen. Because uh, sometimes worlds collide, and that's what happened today. And that's what we're going to get into. Let's uh, seek the Lord for His guidance. God, thank you uh, for North Coast Calvary, for a church that is so radically generous, that's so radically about transforming the world. It's a blessing to be part of this Jesus community. And God, I know that with a subject like this, it's a little bit freaky. There's some of us who come at this and there's worry with us or oh my gosh, what have I done coming here today um, with this scripture? Father, I ask that you would comfort us, that you would speak to us, make our hearts ready for the word that you have for us. Let your voice be clarion and crisp and clear. Diminish my voice, Lord. Amplify your voice. We want to hear from you. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, extraordinary evil, it is about, and it's actually more common than you might think. I was in a conversation this week, and there's three pastors, and, and one of whom, his wife, has sort of uh, come out of uh, the, the New Age and the occult, because one generally is a soft leading into the other. Another one of them, uh, his mother was a survivor of satanic ritual abuse, SRA. It's so common, it actually has its own acronym. More common than you'd think. The third one... His grandmother was a witch and she would freely talk with demons and have uh, insight into people's lives, like more than humanly she could. And she would cast spells on people and spells that would work. So I just want to say it's, it's probably more active than you think it is. Sometimes it's in that extreme sense. Sometimes it's just in the garden variety, ordinary sense. I don't want to open with a story about that. Can I have that photo up on screen, friends, of a bunch of us? So... There I am, and there's some of the mates. There's Joseph who read for us before. This is Lake Superior, the sun coming up. If you squint hard, you can see Canada. And we went on this men's thing a couple of weekends ago. It was called an extreme character challenge put on by 4M Ministries, the fourth musketeer. And let me just say, I'm not plugging it because I have to. If any of you ever have a chance, men, to go on one of these things, they run them every three months as one in November in Kentucky and in Oklahoma in uh, February, it will be life-altering. I mean, for you as a man, as a man before God, as a husband, as a father, absolutely life-altering. But anyway, we were there on this trip and, um, and I thought I was there because me and the lads, we, we'd love to get something like this happening in California and in our church and so on. And, 
And yet I felt God saying to me that actually, Nick, you're there because I want to deal with something in your life. And influence has come through something that happened to you when I, when I was a young man, a young boy, actually. And, uh, and it was anger. And I'm not a particularly angry person, though I ask my family about that. But I'm not someone who, I mean, we all go off pop sometimes. We call it losing our nana. Uh, losing our banana, you guys might say, right? And, uh, and, um, but I don't feel particularly angry, but I felt like God speaking to me about this. And there was this one moment, a dreadful moment, that I'm confessing, not justifying. A guy said something to me, and, uh, and something about the way he said it tapped into this deep thing that I hadn't thought about for years and years, where when I was in grade five, fifth grade at school, an awful uh, bully, the worst kind of terrible bully had, um, you know, uh, abused me. And, um, and it just something flared in me and I bit off this guy's head. And, and, I, and I'm that guy who, I don't care if you're the president or the pope, if you, if you are being a bully, I get big and I, I bully the bullies. Confession, not justification. That's or perceived. In this case, the guy wasn't. He was a lovely guy. In fact, we got to pray later. He was this massive guy, probably six foot three, six foot four, 300 pounds, like, a, like an overgrown lumberjack kind of guy. And, and later on, you know, we, he prayed for me. It was a great time. But at that time, I rose up and I'd been... Anyway, and I felt God speaking to me that night, where that came from, and connecting these two dots that I hadn't thought about. This influence of spiritual stuff, this influence of evil that it was in my past that was uh, causing or, or leading me to give in to the temptation of, of present sin. So I just want to say, friends, as we go through this passage today, don't just write it off and say, oh, this is the extraordinary evil stuff, that kind of the crazy, heavy trauma stuff and the, and the you know, satanic ritual stuff, and, and it is that, and we are going to talk about that. But evil also manifests in small ways, in, in ordinary ways. Yet Jesus is Lord over it all. Remember that. As this passage begins, we see that they went across the lake to the region of the, of the Gerasenes, and, and Ryan, in that great sermon last week, talked about the, the, uh, the disciples were out on the boat, and the crazy storm comes, and they're like, Jesus, don't you even care? And, and he wakes up off of the pillow, and he just speaks, sea becomes still, the wind stops, and a new kind of fear enters them, a, what, what before had been a fear and a worry now becomes like a fear and an awe, a deeper, different kind of fear. But they were going across the lake to this place called the Gerasenes. Could I have up, it's like a, a slide, it's got a, a, a lake and then there's some opposite, here we go. There's, because um, people wonder about where it was and, and the, the best guy I've read on this, I'll put it in the online notes if you want to check it out, and he, and he talks about um, Garassa or a place that's now called Cursa uh, and this is a, a modern day photo of the Decapolis right so looking across the, the Sea of Galilee to, to that and, um, and, uh, and this archaeologist who did this in the next uh, photo later on he, um, he says that it was most likely here because of the name of the place and there was a slope that went down to the water like where the pigs went and so on and there's also some tombs pretty close to that but I want us to visualize this this actually happened this is a, a real story and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came to meet him. And, and Jesus didn't, well, like when evil things come to us, it's either, you know, what is it, freeze or fight or flight. No, Jesus moved in calmly. He's the Lord of all. 
he moves in and he starts to engage with this man. But isn't it interesting that the man was somehow drawn to Jesus, like a, like a polar end of a magnet, drawn to Jesus. And this man, the description from verse 3 onwards, lived in the tombs. Could I have the photo up of the tomb? Um, and this is actually a tomb in Jerusalem, but you kind of get the gist of it. And in, remember, so we're looking at Mark, which is one of the biographies written about Jesus' life, along with John and, and Matthew and Luke. In the, the parallel accounts of this happening in, uh, in Matthew and in Luke, I think it's Matthew, it talks about there being more than one person, but this was the one who engaged in conversation with Jesus. But he's a wretched man. The most wretched man in Scripture, tormented every moment by the concentrated powers of hell, a guy called R.C. Sproul said. This guy is wretched, he's in such a state. Look at the description here. He lived in the tombs like a place of uncleanliness, impure spirit, like evil spirit, that for them is synonymous term. This guy's in this crazy place, no one could bind him. They tried to bind him hand and feet and he would, he would break the chains. Here it says that no one was strong enough to subdue him. The language is, is reminiscent of like a, a wild animal. This guy was considered a wild animal that was untamable. You couldn't subdue him. You couldn't hold him in. And this is a tragic thing. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. He's a social outcast. He's living with the other social, social outcasts in this, this awful place, this wretched place. He's physically harming himself. He's sort of bedraggled clothes, somewhat naked, you know, in, in Luke's account it talks about. And he's just in this terrible, terrible place. And then in verse 6 it says he saw Jesus from a distance and he, and he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted. He saw, he ran, he fell, he shouted. Verbs of desperation. This guy, in some sense, uh, the, the demons are in control of him. In another sense, he's still there. All of us are made in God's image. Even the most wretched of folks, even the folks who we meet and we think, is there any sense of the Imago Day left in this person? The answer is yes, there is. They might be defaced. They might have self-harmed. They might have made disastrous decisions again and again and again and, and concertinaed those in and they're still made in God's image. This man is in a wretched place and he and he shouted and you notice it says he and then it says them and it goes between there's sometimes it's in the singular sometimes it's in the plural in the original language sometimes it's in the masculine sometimes it's in the neuter it's indicative of, of chaos this man is in chaos just as the sea in the last week we heard about was in chaos this man the, the turbulence and the chaos in this man's life and Jesus comes in, but you see he shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torment me. What can we learn from that? I believe the demons can teach us. You guys ready? Brace yourselves. Can I have the slide up on screen, friends? It's like a really boring slide with some words on it. Thank you. There's a guy called Eckhart Schnabel, a theologian, who talks about there being the different satanic ploys that are wrought here. And I've kind of grabbed it and tweaked it a little bit. But there's these ploys, right, that the demonic does. Firstly, 
He says, what do you want with me? This is words of dissociation. In the Old Testament, it was like an idiom, like a, a phrase that, that would be, uh, you have no part with me. Or, or today we might say, mind your own business. Mind your own beeswax. Move along. Nothing to see here. Dissociation. Do any of us do that in our interpersonal relationships? None of you guys, you're awesome, but this guy sometimes. Dissociation, oh, a little bit. The next thing, he, he uh, do you see what they say? Jesus, and it's all in caps, you probably noticed in your, in your books and in the, Jesus, son of the most high God, they, they claim this special knowledge. We do this at times when, when someone confronts us and things and we say, well, you know, I know something about you or about the subject that's over and above. So this confrontation is, is kind of thwarted thereby. And, you know, we, we hold out this special knowledge and, and we do that. I mean, they did that, but they recognized Jesus. Just pause for a second, just a little footnote. The demons recognized Jesus. We saw this in Mark chapter 1. We saw this in Mark chapter 3. That's a little bit freaky. The demons recognized Jesus. They even recognized him as the Lord of all. So why aren't demons saved? Because we know it's a you know, non-secretur, of course, uh, that, that demons are not saved. But they know who Jesus is. They know he's the Lord of all. And it's that, we've talked about it before, it's a difference between knowing about Jesus and even knowing Jesus and following Jesus. There's a difference. Knowing about him, knowing him, and following him. They recognize this guy since before eternity began, we know who this guy is. And now I apologize for those of you who are about to run like your hair's on fire, but we're going to go into a little bit of demonology. There's more notes on this online for those of you who really want to dork out on it, but I need to do at least 30 seconds on it, right? Because the Bible talks about the demonic. It talks about how this exists. And, and if you're thinking, my gosh, I've just, it's like a B-grade horror movie. I apologize, but this is what the Bible teaches. And you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't say, yeah, Jesus rose again from the dead. And, and you know, he sends the Holy Spirit and there's these angels who minister to us without also permitting that as the Bible talks about the demonic, it is real. And Satan and his demons, he is the enemy and they are the enemy and they hate you and they want the worst for you. The Bible talks about Satan being Lucifer, the head of all the angels. In fact, some people think the worship leader in heaven. And as they're bringing worship to God, something rises up in him that thinks, I ought to have a little bit of that glory. Some pride rises up in him. John Calvin said that, that pride is the mother of sins and it's pregnant with every other sin. This rises up in him and, and he wants to worship. He rebels. So God casts him out of heaven and a third of the angels go with him, they become demons. And they are afoot in the world. And Satan throughout Scripture is called the prince of this world. He's called even the god of this world. It says the world lies in the grip of the enemy. But I thought Jesus was the Lord over all. Well, yes, he is. The kingdom has been begun. It has not yet fully come to completion. The kingdom has been inaugurated it has not yet been consummated we're in this middle zone where you look about you see evil afoot and what do we do with it some of us see a demon under every rock and we give satan too much credit i don't think that's a wise thing to do 
Some of us deny its very existence. There's a guy, Carl Henry, a now um, dead theologian. But he said, Satan is most powerfully present where he is denied, where he is forgotten, where he is unexpected, or where he is unnoticed. We shove our heads so far in the sand or up our armpit that, <laughs> that we just deny it whatsoever. And that is a, a most dangerous place to be. And I want to, before we move on, and sorry, I know there's more longer than 30 seconds, give me 10 more. One thing I will say is that, that in the West, we think we don't see this kind of demonic stuff. Actually, it happens more than you think it does. But I've only, in my whole years in pastoral ministry, maybe seen less than a dozen folks who are demonically possessed in this heavy influence. And whether it's demonic possession or oppression, or I'm just going to call it demonic influence. Um, what I'll say, why doesn't it happen with the frequency that it seems to happen as Jesus is cruising about or as you go on our missions trips and go abroad? And my honest answer is because I don't think he needs to. God is infinite in his wonder and his might and his love and his power. Satan is finite. He needs to get bang for his buck. Let me put it like this. Let me be real blunt with you. Why would Satan need to bother giving us this kind of level of demonic attack when he can just get millions of us with internet porn and drug and alcohol abuse and, and unchecked anger and, and rage and malice and enmity? Why would he even bother? He, he gets banged for his buck. And you notice that, that Christian leaders fall with a frequency that frankly is both beguiling and shocking. And there's lots of reasons for that because they exist in these echo chambers where people don't love them enough to hold them to account. And they, they're sort of the, the sage on the stage and, nobody, and they're lonely. And there's human sin, there's 15 reasons, 20 reasons, but one of the reasons for sure is because if Satan brings them down, he brings down the 100 people who are looking to them for strength. He gets banged for his buck. Why would he even bother? I digress. What's the third ploy? Self-defensiveness in, in God's name, the, the angels say, which is somewhat ironic given who they're talking to. In, in Philosophy 101, if you go and study that at university or college, um, they, they call this, in formal logic, they call it a fallacious appeal to authority. Well, well, you know, and, and they'll put in there like some academic or some theologian or some politician if you're having a conversation says this therefore ergo some it must be true well maybe it is maybe it isn't maybe it ain't it should be judged on the value of what it's what it's saying but here they appeal to god himself and sometimes we do that sometimes we do that in our interpersonal things well your mum said this or my kids do it okay my kids say mum said we can have candy which puts me in a bind because at that moment like if i don't give candy kids are annoyed but then if I find out later on that, that mum didn't exactly say they could have candy, but she talked in general terms about candy and, uh, and they have then therefore put, you know, two and seven together and got four, you know, and, and so, but either way, I'm kind of in a bind. Fallacious appeal to authority. The last thing here, the woeful petition, don't torture me. Or in the Lucan account, it says, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Because the demons know that at the end, they're going to be thrown into the, the abyss, the lake of fire. They know that. They know the time is coming. What I want to say is, don't you think it's interesting 
that they have no problem talking about Jesus' divinity. But Jesus' humanity is, is another thing. Now, if you have been involved with exorcism before, and sorry for the crazy word, and it sounds like a horror movie, but that's what it is, the casting out of demons, you'll know that one of the standard tests in exorcism is that if a spirit in a person can admit that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, it is of God. If it cannot admit that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, it is of the Antichrist, it is, it is evil and satanic. But hang on, Nick, I thought you said that the demons said, Jesus, Son of the Master, don't torture me, and, and they admit to God's divinity. Well, they do, but they don't admit to Jesus' humanity. Now, there's lots of ink has been spilt on this, but I want to say my thinking on this is that I think they are boggled by God's humility. They cannot fathom that God himself would become a baby and vulnerable and live as a man prone to, um, you know, or experience every uh, temptation that we do. He was tempted just as we are, says in Hebrews. And, and then that he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. For them, this is like, they can't even think about that because it's pride. For them, God should be over and above. This is a God who comes and, and serves can we learn something from what they say? I think we can. Can we learn something from Jesus' discussion and words? Absolutely. Do you notice the next here it says, Jesus said to them, that you notice the demons were shouting, Jesus was speaking, beware of anyone who shouts prayer, whether it's in an exorcising situation, ex or not ex-er, you know, if, if you're at, you know, the weight room, then someone can shout. But beware of someone who's like, who's shouting. I don't think God is impressed. I don't think God is deaf as it happens. Um, and, you know, I said this to my son this week. You know, just by shouting, it doesn't actually make your position any stronger. Could somebody please tell that to the politicians? But anyway, <laughs> you know, Jesus says to him, come out of this man, you, you impure, impure spirit. And... Um, the language there implies that Jesus had been, had been saying, come out, come out, come out. And then Jesus says, actually, what is your name? And I love Joseph's voice, the little squeaky voice. My name is Legion. I don't know if it was, you know, a dark, awful voice, or, but, but my, my name is Legion, for we are many. At this era, when Jesus was walking the earth, it's in uh, what is called the early um, empire part of Roman history. The, it's just after the late Republic ended in 24 BC, but we're now in this, this part of Roman history where a legion was 5,400 foot soldiers and maybe 200 or 300 auxilia, they're called like extras. What I want to say is I don't think that they are saying literally we are 56 or 5,700 demons. It, it's like an idiom saying we, we are many there's many of us, and we are, are in this man. And, and like I said, you know, there's this, this sense of confusion and a state of mass disorder. And, uh, and they say we're many. And, and then in verse 10, they begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area or into the abyss. Don't send us out. And then we get to the part about the pigs. Can I have the photo of the piggy up on the screen? Oh, piggies. They're so cute. Look at that guy. Smart little dude. Let me say, uh, my wife, who happens to be in the audience, so I better watch what I'm about to say. Um, 
when we started dating, she was working on her uncle's pig farm, pig ranch. I, however, was about seven hours away working on our family farm that was cattle and sheep. And now, it wouldn't be right for me to say that there is a, uh, a hierarchy in, in farmers. That wouldn't be right. But if there was, uh, you know, cattle and sheep farming is up here and pig farming is like somewhere else. And the main reason is because of the stench. Oh my gosh, it's like being punched in the face by a stink monster um, when there's lots of pigs together. In fact, there's, there's, there's farmers, pig farmers, who have a separate entrance to their house and you go in a room and it's just a, a massive um, bathroom with a shower. They get, take off every stitch of clothing, hop in the shower, scrub themselves with a scrubbing brush and soap and only then are they allowed to walk into the rest of the house because the stench goes in your, in your skin, in your hair, in your clothes, and it is awful, it's smelly, yucky, no good, right? There's a few things going on here. Firstly, it's indicative that this is a Gentile area, because pigs are a filthy animal, so said Samuel L. Jackson, but also so it says in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? That pigs are a filthy... So this is a Gentile place that, that, that they're in. And the demons say, send us into the pigs. And some of you are thinking, okay, kind of freaky. Does that mean that the demons left the man, disembodied spirits, floating around, looking for a host that these spiritual parasites can go into? I apologise, but yes is the answer. Right? That appears to be what the Bible is, is talking about. So it's freaky, and I know it, and we're like, oh my gosh, this is like trippy. And uh, could you imagine that the tourist bureau of Garassa saying, you know, hey, come and hang out. You know, there's thousands of demons floating around just waiting to impregnate you. Uh, awkward thing. But, and why does Jesus say yes? My very considered theological answer after reading much on this is I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I do not know. Maybe was he thinking that he was going to show the, and illustrate to them powerfully the, how many demons were in the man and the level of distress and the level of, level of horror or Jesus' control over them. I, I, my answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus here sends them out. They went to the pigs. The pigs run down the bank and drown themselves in the ocean. And I want to thank you for you dads out there um, because you are not making the hilarious dad joke about deviled ham. I appreciate that no one is shouting that out. Well done, men, for having extreme self-control. No jokes about deviled ham. But they go down and they drown themselves in the, in the lake. And, and, you know, this is astonishing, freaky and all that. It absolutely is. But also this would have had mass implications for them, the, I did a rough guesstimate, and I think somewhere between six and seven hundred thousand dollars worth of livestock was destroyed. And I know for us in North County, that kind of money is chump change. That's what it takes to park at the beach at Encinitas for a day. <laughs> um, but back then, it was real money. Back then, actually, subsistence farmers, these, these guys, this would have represented probably generations of accumulated wealth destroyed like that I don't think they would have eaten the pigs floating around this is this is unmitigated disaster and freaky 
and the pig farmers run out into the countryside. They tell anyone they can find, this thing happened, blah, 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 just, and, the, and all the people rush down to see Jesus. And when they come there, what do they find? In verse 15, they, they came to Jesus. They see the man who has been possessed by the legion of demons, who was, he's sitting there, he's dressed and he's in his right mind. He's sitting there. He's no longer in turmoil and, and this kind of uh, like manic psychosis. A couple of friends who, are, who work in mental health field, I said, if, if someone presented like this, what would, you, what would you, you know, I know it's impossible without someone before you, but how would you, you know, initially begin to diagnose this person? And it was something like that. And by the way, just as a footnote, I want to say sometimes some Christians will say any mental health is, is, is demonic. I want to say I don't believe that. Some people will say, no, none of it is ever demonic. It's, it's all mental health and, and chemistry. I'd say sometimes it can be both. Where there is trauma, yes, and, and there is drug and alcohol abuse, yes, which lowers our, somehow spiritually lowers our walls so that the demonic can get in, frankly. Uh, and, and there can be these other things and also uh, demonic influence going on. But this guy has none of this. Now he's sitting there, he's calm, he's dressed no longer in these bedraggled, scarred sort of, sort of garments, and he's in his right mind. And I would give my bottom dollar to be seeing what Jesus is talking to him about. The language kind of implies that he's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. Maybe Jesus is giving him a personal little, little sermon. Oh my gosh, I'd love to know what that was about. Wouldn't it be amazing, this guy here, his life has been tormented and, and agonized and, and self harming and all and, and he's there and and jesus is speaking with him and they, they see the people who come they see this and and they're stoked they're over the moon they're overjoyed and they throw a massive party um just like the disciples you know on the boat and jesus calms the storm and no actually they went from fear and and horror to now fear and awe and it says these guys are afraid i was thinking about it isn't it true, it is in my life, that sometimes when we think that I have this tough thing, this horrible thing, this thing I wish that God would rid me of, but somehow we end up in a comfort zone with it, with it rather than going out on a limb and believing God for his promises and risking that what he says could be true and allowing ourselves to be healed. That might just be me, but I think there's other folks out there who would rather stay in the place of the, the known horror and the known hardship they're going out to the place of healing and things different things stop us friends i just want to encourage you if things are bubbling up don't leave it through this the scripture that was read in our discussion today there's we have a prayer team here at the end we have our counseling center there there's folks who are trained and know how to do it when it comes to this stuff, you know, especially the extreme, extraordinary sense of when worlds collide and the extraordinary um, demonic, don't try this at home. Don't try and self-exercise or be the person who gets mentoring and care in that. But there, there is a place of healing. You don't need to stay there is what I'm saying. You don't need to stay in that place. But here, they see it, they're afraid, and they plead with Jesus to leave their region this Gentile region. Who is he? I don't know. Some crazy Jewish teacher in the nutcase and you saw the, the pigs and it's crazy. And, and also, you know, I think some of them would have been thinking, well, he's destroyed all the pigs. I mean, what about the chickens and the goats? If he's here any longer, we're going to have nothing, you know. 
And, and they ask him, ask him to leave. And Jesus accords with their demands because Jesus doesn't stick around if he's, if he's not welcome. You probably have noticed that. The more you tell him to get lost in your life, the more in a gentlemanly way he says, okay, I'm here if you need me. I'm here when you need me. You may think you've got it all together and hunky-dory, no worries, but I'm here, I'm here when you need me. And then the demon-possessed guy begs Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, I don't know why, but the, the, the imagery there, I think the language uh, employed sort of shows that this man wants to come and be one of Jesus' disciples with him just to be with him, and I can, I can understand why. Um, and maybe it's because Jesus had already decided he's 12, maybe because chiefly Jesus was ministering in a, in a Jewish setting and this Gentile, likely Gentile guy, it wouldn't have been appropriate. But, but Jesus instead says to him, and in contradistinction to the rest of Mark, where to date that messianic secret thing, Jesus saying, you know, doing amazing stuff, then hey, don't tell anyone yet. The time is not yet. This is not the time now. He, he says, go and tell your people all that the Lord has done for you. I'd like to invite the worship team back out here. And like I said, uh, these guys are not a band. Don't diminish what they're doing. All they are doing is leading us forth in worship. Uh, this is a congregational thing that, that, that we're doing here. In fact, let's jump up to our feet because we're going to end here in a second. And, um, and he sends him out. As, and the Bible's silent on it. We don't know much from, from uh, other records, but I bet you this guy was an amazing evangelist. And I bet you the folks, generations after, were talking to their grandkids and saying, you know what, I was there when the pigs ran down the hill and the crazy stuff, and, and I bet you it was amazing. But as we end here, I want to end on something that maybe some of you weren't thinking about. Some might have been. Can I have a photo up? It's like of a, of a guy on a, on a cross. Um, now I bet you there's folks here who know where this is from if you don't know where it's from it's from Birmingham, Alabama and it's, uh, it's a mosaic uh, window that's at the back of the 16th Street Baptist Church which uh, about a week and a half or a couple of weeks ago um, they commemorated the 59th bombing of that church by the Ku Klux Klan there were four girls who were killed who now, if they'd been alive, would have been in their mid-60s, late 60s, during the civil rights era. And firstly, I wanted to put it up there to commemorate that, because I don't think that should slide past without us noticing. Secondly, I want to end by talking about systemic evil, societal evil, because it is real. Evil is real. And it can be real in the small, and it can be real in the big. It can be real in the ordinary, and the, 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 the porn and, the, and the, the drug and alcohol issues and the unchecked anger and, and all of that, it can be in that, or it can be in the extraordinary and the self-harming and, and uh, trauma and so on. And it also can be collective. And there's, there's forces that are going on in this world in the in-between, between the, the inaugurated and the consummated. We're in that in-between time where evil imbues in culture. And I love this country, but we have things here that we need to deal with. Racism, we need to deal with that. 
We need to deal with slavery. Like I said last time I spoke, there are more slaves on earth today than at any other moment in human history. Not proportionally, but in total number. Today. Human trafficking. There's, there's things which are part of our collective um, experience where evil is afoot. So as these guys lead us in this song, I want you to, to sing it and I want you to do some business with God because for some of us, there's things that have been bubbling up where we think, I need some prayer for that. I need some insight for that. We have our prayer team. We have our counseling center. You're in your small groups. Have someone pray for you. Don't neglect to have someone pray for you in that. And for some of us, either that or as well, we might be thinking, there's this big thing that I see. And I see Satan all over it. And he is hurting people. And it's collective and it's societal and it's systemic. And I need to step in. Don't stand back. Don't do the chicken dance. If you do that, God will send someone else and you will miss out on being part of what Jesus is doing. Jesus reigns above it all. That stuff that is small and seemed insignificant but has been tripping you up, that stuff that's big and insurmountable personally and, and systemically, it's massive, we can't do it. Jesus reigns above it all. If, if you have even a skerrick of fear or worry and you're going from this place, I want you to be released from that in Jesus' name. If you are in Christ, there is nothing to fear. If you are not, then friend, I would invite you to come and hear about his goodness. Come up to the front, see me, one of the friends here. We'd love to tell you about Jesus, what he did on the cross. He took our sin and he finished with it. And he rose from the dead triumphant over sin and death. We want to talk to you about that. But don't walk from here with fear. And also don't walk from here shoving your head in the sand. There's spiritual realities. You've seen it out of the periphery. It's real. So may you, church, be blessed this week, knowing that everywhere that you tread, you step with the authority of the risen Christ who came in the flesh, God himself who came down and dwelt among us. He gives you the authority to be those who can minister to each other, and those who are in him, he gives the authority to minister freedom to you, to us as people, and to us as a culture, and a nation, and a society, and to the ends of the earth. And also, friends, I look forward to eating some chocolate with you this afternoon. Be blessed.